Morning, Grace Place family, both of those of you online and uh, on the campus here, we're glad that you're here. Still a lot of sickness going on nationwide. And uh, we, for those of you who are at home uh, right now that may be sick, we're praying for you. We're lifting you up to the Lord and uh, glad that you're able to join us today and be a part of what's going on. I was thinking about uh, these two individuals you may not know. I know uh, more personally. Uh, Dr. George Wood uh, was a former general superintendent of the Assemblies of God and loved to hear him speak. He's, he's such a deep uh, mind uh, theologically, and, and I, I enjoy uh, hearing him expound on God's Word in the fourth stage of cancer. But I, I was thinking through the, the reassurance of our salvation. We're going to talk about salvation today out of the book of Ephesians and uh, how that comes about in, in, in our salvation. But it's a wondrous thing also to have the reassurance constantly uh, through God, through the Holy Spirit of our uh, connection with God, our, how much He loves us and cares for us and how He has chosen us and wants to use us. And that's really the title of what we're talking about today is Chosen. Ephesians chapter 1 is where we're going to be beginning at verse 3 in just a moment. How many of you did follow up on the assignment and, and maybe read through at least the book of Ephesians and uh, maybe even Acts chapter 19? Okay, good. One or two of you there. I want to encourage you to continue to do that if you, if you have not yet. Uh, read through the book of Ephesians. Uh, read through Acts chapter 19, which is a good, uh, helps us get a little bit about the setting and the, the placement. And we're actually going to touch a little bit more on why that is so important um, in the time in which you and I are living right now. Uh, Acts, uh, or sorry, Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. Let's, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Those of you that are here on campus, if you feel like it, you're at home, please stand up where you're at and follow along with us for the reading of God's Word. And we can be heard now, right? We're on... I'm sorry uh, for those of you who were online. It was great in here. We had an awesome time. I'm sorry for those of you who were online. It was, uh, we were pantomiming to, today a little bit. So glad you're able to join us. All right, here we are, verse 3 uh, out of Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself, as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of the glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption, through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mysteries of His will according to His purpose, which He has set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined uh, according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to, uh, might be to the praise and His glory. In Him you also 
when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, and is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Heavenly Father, as we open your word today, and as we dig in deep, open our understanding that we might know better what you're saying through your Holy Spirit, that these words that are words on a page might also get life and breath from the Holy Spirit to breathe into us and bring life change according to your plan and purpose for our gathering today. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you're seated. What is it that awakens us to a personal faith in Jesus Christ? How is it that somebody becomes a believer? Uh, we were talking about that in our gathering today, and uh, Kim answered the question for us. Kim Walsh, she said, uh, by grace. And so we can all go home now. That's the, it is, all by grace. I want to do a little walkthrough in a minute about the, the processes of what goes on uh, in, in our coming to Christ and in, in having that personal relationship with Him. But how, is it, how does that happen? Let's think through it for a minute. You know, it's a child in, in Sunday school class that comes to know Christ or in, in, uh, in a teenager or in the middle years of life, someone who comes to know him or uh, a young student uh, who's at school. Men and women uh, I've met before in, in uh, their old age who suddenly have come to understand uh, the gospel message and have made Jesus the Lord and the leader of their life. So what, what are the principles that are involved in us, what what is what is it that uh, or are involved in salvation, and and how is it that we ever come to a saving faith? And I want to walk you through this, um, you know, uh, and and this is all happening in in moments of time we recognize. So we're going to go by we're going to take five steps. There's actually a sixth in the body of the message that we'll talk about, but there's five initial steps here that that are taking place. And the number one is that as truth of the gospel is presented. Uh, to us in, in whatever form, the Holy Spirit convinces us of the truth, right? We're living in a world that uh, truth is, is relevant in, in many minds. There is no absolute truth, according to them, uh, which means that they believe in absolute truth. There is no absolute truth, right? <laughs> uh, and, and they would banter around that truth is in the eyes of the beholders. You know, my truth is this, and my truth is that. And, and it is the work of the Holy Spirit that brings us to a place in a fraction of a moment of time to understand and convince us of the truth of the gospel. And, and you know this, you've heard this, uh, you know, you've seen it with friends. Maybe it happened with you that many times... The, the gospel message was explained, and it was all head knowledge. It was intellectual. Maybe someone gave you a book, and you, you read it, and, and you thought, well, that's interesting, you know, and I'm going to think about it. And, and you continued on, on some kind of a religious or spiritual journey, and, and you've seen people who have maybe for, for you know, uh, 17th time or the, the 50th time or maybe even the 100th time heard the gospel presented, and, and nothing really has, has happened, but suddenly that something takes place. The truth of the gospel takes hold. There's something that happens, uh, and, and an enlightenment that comes into their life. And, and maybe, again, it's the 40th time that it's been presented to you, and the Holy Spirit convicted you of that truth. And so that's where it begins. And then secondly, 
as we, as we then recognize the truths of the gospel, the Holy Spirit enables us to apply these truths to ourselves because we all know that it's one thing to understand truth, right? And if I understand that it's not good for me to be overweight, you know, I can still think that, it's, that this guy that's a little more overweight needs to be losing weight, not really me, right? Or, or this person over here, you know, that, that has a really bad uh, health diet uh, situation, they need to be worked on. But I'm not thinking about it as applying to me, right? And so the second thing that's going on here is the Holy Spirit is not only uh, illuminating that this is truth, but this is truth for you. It's very personal. It's something that you need to think through and understand for your life personally. And so the Holy Spirit comes to us and he says, you know, this is not just information for the people that live four miles down the road. It's not just good for your mom and dad. It's something that you uh, need to understand. This is not just a religious kind of concept. This is something that there needs to, to happen in you. And so there comes this awakening in us suddenly. You know, we, we, uh, we understand it as truth. And now we understand that it needs to be applied or how it applies to our lives. I am a sinner. I'm fallen uh, from God's grace. And, and I am in, 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 a, in a complete depravity situation where I really need a Savior. And so thirdly, what happens then is, is having been convinced of our sin and, and the need of our Savior, that the Holy Spirit makes it clear that the remedy for our sin is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. You see, the Holy Spirit's Function has always been to point to Christ and, and to lead us to Christ. And, and Jesus told his disciples, he said, I'm going to go away, but I'm leaving the Holy Spirit here. You need him every moment and every day. He's going to be like a super conscience in you. He's going to direct you to me, remind you of the words that I've said, uh, the keeping of my commands and the things that God wants you to do. He's going to lead you step by step and walk by walk. And so it is the work of the Holy Spirit that always leads us to Jesus. And so when we're confronted with these things, eventually brought face to face with Christ, right? And then fourthly, what happens as a result is that our faith, our newfound Christian faith is not built upon human wisdom, or, or, uh, but, it's, but it's solely on God's power, God's grace, God's mercy for our lives. And so there is no other way to turn. We're confronted with, I need a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. There's nothing I can do in my own willpower to make a difference in my life. You may remember what Paul said to the Corinthians when he, uh, he said these words, and we presented Jesus Christ and Him crucified in, in this way. We didn't use words of human wisdom. Or we didn't get involved in any kind of eloquent words in order that faith might not rest upon on the wisdom of man, but upon the power of God. What's Paul saying? Get out of the self-help section of that bookstore. You need Jesus, right? There's nothing that's going to help you in any of those books. You cannot make it happen in your life. Uh, nothing wrong with with somebody writing a book like that and and encouraging you, you know, to be a better person. But that is not going to save you. You need Jesus. And so then, fifthly, uh, the effective working of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and life bring us to faith in Jesus Christ entirely without reference to our own merits. Uh, we are we are we can do nothing to save ourselves, and so we receive in the end. Uh, what has always been the initiative of God. The important thing for us to understand about salvation is we never started it. God started it. He recognized our fall. He recognized that we were being separated from Him. And He initiated the work of salvation towards you and I. He's the initiator. 
So whatever journey you might have been on, whatever spiritual journey uh, you might be trekking down and thinking that you're being enlightened, you have never, ever been in pursuit of God. He has always initiated and he's been in pursuit of you. You have been in pursuit of, of calming your guilt. You've been in pursuit of, of trying to quiet uh, fears in your life. You've been in pursuit of trying to, to find out how to be a better person. But God's been in pursuit of you to save you and to transform you and to make you a new person. Amen? Praise God. Paul says um, in, in the opening of this passage, he says, I, I want you to bless God. What does it mean to bless God? It means to speak well of him, to declare his greatness. And so he begins this passage with these words that I think sometimes when we're reading this, we think of this more as, as kind of just introductory remarks to, and, you know, to, to kind of uh, get our attention. And then we're supposed to dig into, he's going to say some better things down the line. But he starts it off by saying, blessed be God, the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is it so important for this to be the beginning? It is because this is the beginning of all worship, of coming into the presence of God on His terms and not on ours. You remember Jesus taught His disciples how to pray. And He said, what you should, what you should do is, is you should immediately stop bombarding God with all your personal needs. Right? He said, just, just start right off. Say, here's, Lord, I, I just need this, I need that, that. Is that the way Jesus taught them to pray? He said, no, here, here's how you're going to do it. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed, blessed, glory, be your name. He said this is the beginning of it, is the recognition of who God is and inviting him into your circumstances and on his terms to do a work around you in the, in the, in the circumstances around you and in you and through you. And Paul, you know, then, then, then he goes on to answer why we should do this in these, in these next few verses. Why should we begin with, blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? He said it's, it's, it should be a natural expression coming out of you because in verse 3 he says he has blessed us. He has blessed us. There's not a person in this room that can't raise their hand that says, I've been on the blessing side of what God has been doing on planet Earth and in my life. In verse 4 he says... You should bless him because he chose you. He chose you. I can remember, you know, lining up in a, in a big line. And uh, I know Caitlin would probably recognize this from having PE classes. And we'd be in a long line and they're choosing teams. There'd be two captains. And I, I wanted to be picked. You know, I wanted to be chosen. And I, I don't want to be last. You know, I wanted to be picked and, and picked on a good team, a winning team, right? And it's great to be chosen. How many of you are glad you're chosen? God has chose you. And then he says, Paul says in verse 5, He has predestined us. He has a plan in the sovereignty of God. He has a plan for your life that, that, is, uh, that will be lived out, will fulfill purpose, and bring meaning to your everyday existence. And then down in verse 8, he says, The riches of grace, He just lavished them on you. He didn't say, oh, man, you did it again. All right, well, I'm giving you an ounce. Don't let this go to waste. No, Paul says he lavished it on you. He's just poured out an abundance of grace. How he loves you, how he cares for you. And that gives us all the impetus to begin by blessing the Lord and praising him. He's, you've been chosen in him. Uh, that is in Christ before the foundations of the world. Chosen 
and given power to live the life uh, that the, the Holy Spirit, a blameless before God and in a, in a life of love, redeemed from the curse that has been passed down generationally. Now, he touches on this um, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, 18 through 20. Uh, Peter talks about what this generational thing that, that's going on that, that is problematic for us in understanding all of the gospel. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, generationally passed down. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he has chosen before the creation of the world but, has, uh, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. I can't emphasize enough uh, the challenge that we have in our time and our generation to stand on, on, on a foundation of all the gospel because it has been uh, tampered with, perverted, and damaged in previous generations, and that has been handed down. It is that beginning in the garden of the, the argument between, uh, or, or the conversation between the serpent and Eve, saying, God did not surely say. And every generation has their form of that. And we're living now in, in the midst of that, where, where people are saying, God is a God of love. God did not surely say whatever. And generationally, uh, it's been passed down to us. And so there are things that we begin to accept and bring into our tent that God says, that's going to be destructive to you. That's going to be harmful to you. That's going to do damage to you. That's going to cause you to drift and to fall away. And we keep bringing these things into our tent because previous generations and even uh, some Christian uh, people that we have followed or, or been around or people that we respect have, have given us a caveat for something that we wanted to bring into the tent. And I want to finish this morning by looking at the last section of this text that we read a moment ago. And it reads, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. So that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise and of the glory, of His glory, in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. What is the ultimate goal in our salvation? What does it mean? What, what should it look like ultimately? What's it all about? Is it just about saving us from uh, a raging river and putting us on a firm foundation of safety and a shelter of some kind? Is it about God rescuing us in our time from a, a pandemic and keeping us alive? What is 
the ultimate goal of salvation. I think when I think about this, about B.P. Warfield, uh, a professor and uh, also a, a great theologian, he's walking somewhere in an American city and he passes a young student and uh, he walks a couple of paces and he turns around and he shouts back to the fellow. He says, what is the chief end of man? And the fellow replies back to him, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to joy him forever. B.B. Warfield laughs and he says, ha ha, I could tell you were a Westminster confession boy. Do we understand what this is all about? What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. In this section of our text, there's a huge theological word that gets a great deal of tension, and for good cause, it is the word predestined. And it speaks to the sovereignty of God, but it also begs the question for us of free will. Am I a Christian because a free will decision that I made upon understanding those first five steps of the revelation of the Holy Spirit inviting me to know my Savior, to know my sin, and to invite Him uh, to be Lord and leader of my life? Am I a, was, I, was I saved as a result of my coming uh, to Christ and making that decision, or as a Christian was that already decided by God in His sovereignty that I should make that choice? And I have now had that encounter, and I did make that choice. And in this section of the text, I think for us to better understand what is taking place, the key words there are in Him. In Him, we see clearly. We recognize our purpose, our calling, what we are predestined to, to, to do and to be. But we also are reminded that outside of Him we are lost, without purpose, without understanding, drifting from the call of God on our lives. Joshua talked about the free will of man when he said in Joshua 24, verse 15, to all the children of Israel there before him, he said, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. God has granted us free will And as we stated in the early part of this passage, Paul makes it clear that God chose us. But he also makes it clear that we must choose him. He says that when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you heard the word. The Holy Spirit did those five things we talked about a moment ago, in a flash of a moment. And then you made a decision to make him Lord and leader of your life. He chose you. And then you chose 
Him. John chapter 1, verse 12 to 13 expounds on this. Yet to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The term used throughout the Bible, born again, born of God, born of the Spirit. The Bible uses these terms to express the adoption that's sealed by the Holy Spirit when the chosen choose the Lordship of Jesus Christ over their lives. That's when you're born again. God's grace and mercy is there. All who come to Him, all who open to Him, all who invite Him. Another picture out of Revelations 3.19 to one of the churches, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open the door, I will come in. It is the Holy Spirit that brings the revelation of our need, the pravity of mankind. It is the Holy Spirit that enlightens us to uh, the truths of Scripture and all of the Gospel. It is the Holy Spirit that introduces us to Jesus as the only answer. Reveals to us that all of our efforts are powerless. There's nothing that we can do to bring about salvation in our own lives. It is the Holy Spirit that helps us believe and invite Jesus to be Lord and leader of our lives. We talked about it a moment ago. First sin has separated us from God, but add to that generational sin that has been approved, accepted, adopted as a life norm. And I, I'm going to invite our worship team to come in just a moment here. <clears throat> when we started traveling to uh, Romania early on, I, I was struck, in, in not only just in Romania, but in some of the countries we passed through, there was always layovers, uh, either in Germany, we were in England, we were in a lot of places, In uh, uh, had a, a chance to be in uh, Budapest and a uh, number of places. And I was struck as with my encounters with people there, um, uh, really about how strange it was that it was very natural for many of those people to live and practice unethical lives. I, I mean, even among some of the, the Christian people that we were meeting and talking to. When I talk about unethical, I mean like lying, stealing, cheating, deceiving. Uh, we had uh, instantly learned uh, that this, this was, a, was uh, a norm in some instances. Not every case, but in some instances it was a norm. And what, what had happened is generations who had suffered in poverty, uh, especially in Romania, they're in cruel dictatorship, uh, betrayal, had come to justify living unethically. They, they'd really generationally come to make certain things acceptable. They had been lied to, they had been cheated, they had, everyone was living this way, and uh, you know, it, was just, it was just a way of life. You were, you were not going to survive in their mind if you, if you did not practice some of these things. If you did not lie, if you did not steal, um, if you did not uh, deceive or cheat. And I give you several personal examples, but suffice to say that um, it, it was uh, alarming as we were carrying uh, the whole gospel in at the beginning, recognizing the challenge of the pastors and leadership there during this transition, the fall of the, the, the Iron Curtain and, 
and uh, you know the the new uh, freedoms that were going to be experienced over time in Romania. And each year that we would go back, we would see changes and different things that are taking place. And and uh, some of these habits had had again formed in the lives of Christian believers. And so. Uh, we felt immediately that we were to take the whole gospel to Romania. And uh, we did not call them victims of cruelty. Uh, therefore, you know, you're excused from lying. You're excused from cheating, stealing, and deceiving. You, you have a reason that, that that should have happened, you know. I, I can't even imagine living in a place where... Um, you, your neighbors and friends were incentivized to tell about your life, to get you into trouble, to, uh, that there was a, the secret police would come. There were stories in the church that we uh, first went to there of uh, two individuals coming into the building and they weren't recognized by the congregation and, and so everyone became kind of fearful immediately and these individuals at one point in the service stood up and uh, pulled out loaded weapons and uh, they said, everybody in this building who, um, you know, denies Jesus as Lord and Savior, you need to leave this building right now. If you, if you believe him and you stay in this building, you're going to experience the consequences. And so a section of people got up and left for fear, got up and left for fear. And as the story goes, these gentlemen holstered their weapons and said, we are believers. We just want to worship with believers. Amen? We don't want somebody going home and telling uh, about us coming to a worship service and our families' lives being in jeopardy. We just want to be with believers. People who love God and cherish Him and want to live for Him. We took the whole gospel to Romania. We did not uh, call them a victim of cruelty. We didn't excuse their guilt. We, did, uh, we confronted them with their sin. We told them that God confronts us with our sin on a daily basis. We reminded them that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that they were redeemed from an empty way of life handed down to them by their ancestors but it was with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to stand with me. This morning I believe God is challenging all of our hearts, every one of us, about things that we have kind of held um, inside our tent that are not part of the gospel. We have excused it. We have said, this is all right. You know, society accepts it. I heard a preacher, he talked about it, and it's okay. It doesn't matter what it says in God's word. And God is challenging each one of us here this morning and online as well with something along that line that's in your tent that you brought in there. Just as Achan did in his tent when they went uh, across the Jordan and fought early on the battlefield after God had told them not to take anything from their victory in Jericho. He said, all of that belongs to me. Don't take anything there. Achan saw some cherished things, maybe some gold and some silver. 
that he thought he could get away with, and he took it inside his tent. Caused Israel to lose some great battles ahead. Uh, sin in our tent is so destructive. It, it brings about um, all kinds of uh, warfare and loss and suffering. And God loves us so much, he wants it out. Kim was talking earlier about the grace of God, and in that story of Achan, you see the grace of God. He offers Achan so many chances to repent and, and reveal himself. He starts by marching all of Israel in front of Joshua. He says, somebody in this group's guilty. There's a million people marching. Pick it. There's one in a million somewhere. They're guilty of harboring something in their tent that is sinful. Then he takes it down by, to a tribe, tribe of Judah, march by. He takes it down to his great-grandfather, march them by. God gives him so many opportunities to repent of that sin and get it out of your tent. This morning is our opportunity. God's saying, get out of your tent these things that don't belong there. This year's challenge is that we're taking all of the gospel. We're not piecing it up and parsing it out and trying to stand as if we're guiltless before the Lord, knowing that there are things living in our tent, in our hearts, in our lives that will destroy us and alienate us from God and remove us from a closeness and a personal relationship with Him. He loves you so much that He wants you to get rid of what's inside that tent, that it can be communion, just you and Him. You can have the intimacy with God that He longs for and wants. Will you bow your heads with me and let's invite God this morning. Lord, out of the honesty and integrity of our heart, we open up to you and we invite you to search our hearts to know our thoughts to try us and to see if there be any wicked way in us to cleanse us from all unrighteousness that we might stand righteously before you we're willing to give up and get out of our tent that which is lord offensive to the kingdom, that which is destructive to our own hearts and lives, that which is counter to what your word says. And so we invite you, Lord, to deal with us personally. I'm not thinking about my brother or sister or somebody else in the room. I am thinking about me. Deal with me and what you want me to come clean on. God, I pray that you would wash us through the blood of Jesus Christ, that we might be totally clean and that we would not go back again to the things that are depraved, that are harmful, that are destructive to our lives. And today and all this week, we're going to rid our tent of things that would cause us to drift from you. Lord, things that would cause us to move in a direction that is counter to what you want in our lives. We're going to give you the glory and the praise for that, Jesus. You just talk to him right now and praise him as we worship together in song.